The Center for Thinking Biblically is a ministry of the Masters University. Visit thinkbiblically.org for more information. No man can be the right king. There is no man who can fulfill the Davidic covenant. They all fall in their own ways. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, God rules by his word. Yes, God is king. But no man then, by himself, and a mere man, can be the king. That is where the book of 2 Kings leads us. And in fact, it leads into disaster as Israel is carried off in exile. But there's hope because at the end of 2 Kings, it reminds us that the line of kings hasn't fallen. It's not gone. And God will continue to preserve his line of kings forward unto the Messiah. Now, what happens at this point is that the prophets have to get up. They have to explain things. There's a lot of questions people are having. You can't find the right king. What is going wrong? Why are we going into exile? Why are all these disasters happening? The prophets have to stand up and show what is going on, what is really happening, and how God is resolving all things for his glory. And so you have the prophet like Obadiah. Obadiah is a prophet who gets up and explains to us that even though Edom had attacked Israel at a point of time, that God will have vengeance. He will make things right. There is something called the day of the Lord and that God will take care of things in the end. Israel needs to have perspective. Speaking of which, that's why Joel comes in. And in the book of Joel, we have uh, the description of a massive locust plague and God is warning his people that he's not just going to judge the people of the nations in the day of the Lord. He's going to judge his own people and they need to be ready for that. And Joel, interestingly enough, has the definition of repentance. He says this, tear your heart, not just your garments. Repentance has to be something from the inside, not just a superficial display. And so Joel is the calling on God's people to make sure that they're ready for what God will do and his judgment and his salvation. And indeed, he will save every judgment that he has on them, he will reverse. And he will even pour out his spirit so that they'll be given a new heart. That's what Joel talks about. And so Joel calls people and helps them to understand this isn't because some political political system failed or, or you just needed a better public policy. This is because of your sin. You need to wake up in light of that and repent of it truly and turn to God who is mighty to accomplish both judgment and salvation. Speaking of judgment and salvation, that's why you have the book of Jonah. Jonah is sent out to show that the salvation that God has for his own people, guess what? He has it for the Gentiles too. But God's entire point and purpose for Israel from the start was to have a nation that would make an international impact, a nation that would witness to the other nations, a nation that would be a kingdom of priests. And Jonah's a reminder, that's still part of God's plan. And that plan, it's still going. Amos reminds us that God is fair that he is just. He's never been over wrathful. A parent can sometimes discipline overmuch, uh, overkill in that regard, but God never does that. God is always fair. He is not just just to punish, he's just to restore. And that's what we see in Amos 9 as he will raise up the Davidic dynasty in the end. Hosea prophesies at a crucial time and he reminds us that God's work that of judgment is an act of love. It's not that God judges in spite of the fact that he loves us. No, his act of judgment is an act of love itself because it 
prunes Israel's iniquity away from them and reminds them of the harm they're doing themselves. And all of that is discipline to draw them to himself. It is his act of pursuit of them. It is his love for them. And that's what Hosea reminds us of. Micah reminds us of God himself. Micah means who is like God. And as Israel's wrestling with all the things that are happening, understanding their sin, understanding salvation, Micah turns their eyes on God and says, this is all about him. There is no one like him. And what makes him so unique, as the ending of Micah says, is the reality that God forgives sin. And Micah prophesies that the way God obtains that forgiveness is through his Messiah born in Bethlehem. Why? Because he's the new and final David. David was born in Bethlehem. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem to finish and fulfill what David started. Isaiah lays out this plan of salvation comprehensively. He explains to us that it's about Israel's sin. He shows us that the Messiah will be born of a virgin. He shows us that the Messiah thereby will be God-man. We ask the question, how can you have a king fulfill anything if no man can fulfill the Davidic covenant? Well, Isaiah provides the answer. The Messiah is no mere man. He's no mere man. He's God-man. That's why he can do this. That's why he can fulfill everything. That's why the government, Isaiah 9, sits on his shoulders. And the way he will do it is not just by power and might. He will do it by being the suffering servant, Isaiah 53, who will be our righteousness, Isaiah 50 and 49. And he will have victory on our behalf as he takes up our suffering on himself, doing what no king could do, fulfilling what no king could fulfill, stepping into a place that no one can do but God, man himself. That's what Isaiah reminds us of. It's all about salvation. And when you have that, then the lion can lay down with the lamb. Then everything can turn around. Why? Because as we said from the very beginning, it's all about sin. Sin is the problem. So when you deal with sin, everything can be dealt with. And just to show that God's going to work it out, just like Isaiah said, there's the book of Nahum. You see, in the book of Nahum, you have a prophecy. You have a prophecy about the destruction of Nineveh. And it's a very distinctive prophecy. It says it's going to flood and burn. How do you have something that floods and burns? But here's what's interesting. That's exactly what happens. And that proves Nahum knew what he was doing in his prediction. That proves that this is a very, very true prophecy. And in fact, it goes one step further. Because Nahum says this phrase, blessed are the ones of whose feet proclaim the good news. You say, I've heard that before. Where have I heard that? the book of Isaiah. You see, Nahum says, if you know and if you see my distinctive prophecy come true, then you know everything in Isaiah is going to come true. And Nahum, it came true. So you know what God promised long-term in Isaiah, it's going to come true. And so God's plan of redemption is explained and expressed by the prophets and is moving forward. Well, there's some other really crucial prophecies like Zephaniah. You see, Zephaniah, it means hidden treasure. People at the time, they're seeing their nation fall apart. They're wondering, God, explain this to me. I don't get it. Okay, I know sin. I know salvation. I know judgment. But is there anything good in this? Zephaniah says, let me show you the hidden treasure. And he shows that judgment refines people. And when they're refined, they can have their promises. But here's the hidden treasure. The hidden treasure is that when people are so refined, they have clean lips. They have a clean tongue to worship God. You know what God will do? In the end times, he will come down and he will sing with his people. Now, I've been in great worship services. I've been in great places where there's great music. But can you imagine God coming down to sing because he's so overjoyed? That's a hidden treasure. And Zephaniah says, don't miss that, Israel. God knows what he's doing. He has a plan. He's preserving the line of seed. It's moving forward. Have faith. Speaking of which, that's the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk talks about having faith in God. In fact, the word Habakkuk means to hug because that's what the book is about. 
It's about how those who have faith in God will be justified in the end. The righteous shall live by faith. And that's what this book is about. And we trust, and as Habakkuk did, in the God who provides such a salvation. Well, at the end of this period of time, as everything, as we just talked about in First and Second Kings, is coming closer and closer to the exile where everything falls apart, you have a prophet named Jeremiah. He's the weeping prophet, and he shows God has a plan, and we have to embrace that plan, and we can't fight against that plan. He has a plan to tear down, even as he has a plan to build up. And our job is not to fight against that plan. Our job is to go through that plan. That's why the book of Lamentations is written, because it laments what happens in this era. But it laments in hope. Great is thy faithfulness. His loving kindnesses are new every morning, and he will get you through. And so as Israel enters into the exile, they have this entire theology. They know all that's going on. They know where they went wrong. They know what God is going to do and they can trust him. And through it all, God has preserved his line of seed. God has preserved Genesis 3.15 all the way through. In fact, he's explained that this seed is going to be God-man accomplished so great a salvation through his suffering death and have victory and be Lord over all. And in exile, that's proclaimed. And in exile, that's maintained. Ezekiel shows that God's glory is going to fill the earth. He will have communion and relationship with his own people. And that's because that seed that we just talked about, he's also going to be called the great shepherd, Ezekiel 34. I think we've heard that before. Esther shows that God is invisibly active. He is providentially active. You may not see him. In fact, in the book of Esther, God's name is never mentioned once to demonstrate a reality that God is in control. Even though you don't see him, he's planning everything for good. And yes, it looks like other nations are winning right now, but in the end, just like the book of Esther ends, God puts his man on the throne. And that's where all history is going. Speaking of putting God's man on the throne, that's what Daniel's all about. Daniel reminds us that God does have plans for nations. They will rise and fall, but there will be one. In fact, his name, his title is one like the son of man. The word man is Adam. In Genesis 3.15, we remember that the Messiah is called the second Adam because he's a he and not a she. He is the final Adam. And in Daniel, we see that. There is only one. This is God's one on the throne. And so we see the promise of Genesis 3.15, it's continuing. It's moving forward. And it's being announced and elaborated on in the book of Daniel. Well, God continues his plan. And now you're in the post-exile as God brings his people back home. And the theme of this time is continued to be continued. You have books like First and Second Chronicles, and you say, that kind of sounds like First and Second Kings. What's the difference between the two? Well, First and Second Chronicles, it's a chronicles. It's a reflection on all that God has done and how faithful he's been. The first word of First Chronicles is Adam. God has been faithful to us. God has been faithful to his people from the very beginning even before the beginning. That's how faithful he's been. And he's invested in his people and he's invested in them to give them, that is Israel at this time, a a temple to demonstrate his relationship. And even though in the end, in 2 Chronicles, the temple's torn down, the final words are not that. The final words are rebuild the temple. He commissions Cyrus to have the temple rebuilt. Why? Because the relationship is not over. It's continued. That's what post-exile shows is that God's plan, it doesn't fail. He's pushing it forward but it's continued to be continued. You see, you have books like Nehemiah where you're rebuilding the wall or the book of Ezra where you're rebuilding the temple. Yeah, God's kingdom plan, it's continuing. Yeah, God's relationship with his people as evidence in the temple, it's continuing, but 
the walls aren't stable and, and there's still enemies and the temple isn't that large and not only are there still enemies and opposition and adversaries present, even the people's hearts are still not right. And that takes us back to the first issue at the beginning. You gotta solve the sin issue. You've gotta solve the issue of wickedness. You've gotta solve the issue of the human heart. You gotta circumcise the heart. That's always the issue and it's not done yet, which shows you this, it's continued to be continued. And the prophets, just like they arose before to explain the time of the kings, the prophets arise to explain this time of post-exile. You have Haggai who says, yes, God is at work. Don't give in. Don't lose heart. Keep rebuilding the temple to advance God's plan forward. You play a role in a bigger story. Be encouraged. And you have books like Zechariah, which means Yahweh remembers because Zechariah is reminding everyone God has never forgotten his promises. God has never failed in any of his guarantees. He's moving things forward. Trust in him. Look to the future. Be faithful now. And you have Malachi who says this, Malachi means my messenger. And Malachi over and over and over and over says, watch out, because this is continued to be continued. God does have a plan and watch out for God's messenger. God's messenger is coming. And God, when God's messenger comes, then we're gonna see the fulfillment of and the finishing of and the working out of everything that has been accumulated with Genesis 3.15, everything we've been hoping in thus far. And so with that, God has established an entire framework, an entire set of promises and theology and hope in the Old Testament. It extends to every nation. It involves the nation of Israel. It involves covenants. It involves glory. It involves the King of Kings. And all of that has been set up. And now they are waiting for the King to come to fulfill and take all of that because that is the glory of the hero of heroes. And God wanted to honor his son. And he wanted us to understand the grand of his son, so he laid all of that out and pushed it all forward so that it's moving to the New Testament. God begins and he wars, and we're gonna see how he continues to do so as Old Testament flows to New Testament. Thank you for listening to the Center for Thinking Biblically podcast. To help support this ministry, please visit thinkbiblically.org forward slash donate. To learn more about the Masters University on campus and online undergraduate and graduate programs, visit masters.edu.